with me to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading from Luke chapter 1 this morning. As was announced, for the next four weeks we'll be spending our time in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, which is the coming of the Messiah. And this morning we have quite a lengthy reading, so bear with me. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It says, Inasmuch as many as have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministered of the word of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having made having had a perfect understanding of all these things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of the of those things in which you were instructed. Verse five There was a man in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, His lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will, uh, and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my word, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he had lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he, he, rec- he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were, were completed, 
that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And she, and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me. In the days when he, in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. Now turn the page to verse 57. As we continue the story of Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John. Verse 57 of chapter 1. Now Elizabeth, now Elizabeth's full time came, uh, came for her to be delivered. And she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown her great mercy, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that she, that they came to circumcise the child and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made a sign to his, to his father what he would be called. He would have him called. And he asked for the writing, for a writing tablet, and he wrote saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosened, and he spoke praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. Now his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. That we should that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercies promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore, <coughs> excuse me, the oath which He swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His way, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission forgiveness of their sins through the tender mercies of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the days of his manifestation. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. What a wonderful passage we have before us this morning. I just want to set a couple introductory statements before we delve into this passage to help us get the setting of what we're reading. First and foremost, the author of this gospel is Luke. Now, Luke is unique in that, number one, he was not an apostle. And number two, he was a Greek. He was not a Jew. 
And so we see that he has a very unique perspective when writing. He's one of the, the only New Testament writer who was not a Jew. And so he stands outside in the fact that his heritage does not belong with the Jewish people. And so when he set out to write the, this gospel, as we read in the first four verses, that he, he, had a, he had a perfect understanding from the beginning. In other words, he set out to find out what happened. And he wanted to write an orderly account for everyone, for his friend Theophilus and for you and I. Not because he was there, not because he saw it with his own eyes, but because he interviewed those who were there. He interviewed the apostles. He, he spent quite a bit of time with Paul, by the way. And he, and he compiled all the stories. And inspired by the Holy Spirit, he sat here to write this gospel in this order, in this fashion. And, it, and, and, at, the, and at this very onset, its beginning is unique than all the other gospels. When we begin the, book, the, the gospel of Matthew, it begins by what? A genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham, and so on and so on and so on. And, and, and Matthew is taken up with the fact that Jesus, who was born, is king of the Jews. And that's why he starts with the genealogy. The Gospel of Mark, by the way, doesn't even start with his birth. The Gospel of Mark simply just starts with his ministry. And that's why the Gospel of Mark to portrays him as the servant. And, and it's all about action. It's all about the Lord acting amongst his people. Here in Luke, though, doesn't start with a genealogy. Doesn't even start with the birth of Christ, but goes beyond, beyond that to the announcement. Well, let me back up. He starts with God breaking into human history. That's where he starts. He starts with God stepping into human history after being silent for so long. And of course, I don't want to forget John. The Gospel of John is wonderful. The Gospel of John does not start with the genealogy. does not start with John the Baptist. The Gospel of John goes to eternity past. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Gospel of John is dealt with the fact that Jesus is God, is the Son of God. And so, having that perspective, here we have in the Gospel of Luke, uniquely this story, number one, of Zacharias, the announcement of his son, John, of his barren wife, Elizabeth. And we have the promise and the prophecy of Zechariah. And so this morning, I want to delve on three main points. And I'm very proud of this because they're all, they all start with D. And as you guys know, I'm not really big with words. But the Holy Spirit helped me, and we got three Ds. First, we're going to look at the divine message given to Zacharias. Then we're going to consider his disbelief. And lastly, we're going to look at his declaration. Declaration. Divine message, disbelief, and declaration. Now, we first begin in verse 5. It says, There was in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, I want to pause there because I, I want to give us some historical setting. First of all, who is this man named Herod? And why is he king of Judea? And what that tells us, number one, this Herod is what they call Herod the Great. Now, 
I will at the onset tell you that he was great because he built things. He wasn't great because he was a great person. Herod the Great built great port cities. He built theaters. He built all these wonderful architectural things. But he was a death pot. He was, he was a tyrant of a king. In the account of Matthew of the Nativity, when the, when the wise men came in and said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? It says that Herod was troubled by the news of this king being born. And it says, and all of Jerusalem was troubled with him. Why do you think they were troubled? Why was all of Jerusalem? Because he was troubled. Well, because they knew who the man was. He was a, a wrathful tyrant king. History would tell us that he would, he would kill his own sons. A saying would be said of Herod's, of Herod's pigs. He said that the pigs in his stall are safer than his sons. That's the kind of man he was. Paranoid that someone was going to take his power. He would kill his own children. He would kill his wife. He would kill his mother-in-law. Just because he killed his wife. That's who this man Herod was. And I give you all this history to point this out. The state in which the Lord decides to talk and to work in the life of the children of Israel was not one that was a happy time. And as I alluded to you before, the Lord had been silent. If we turn a couple of pages, we don't have time, but if we turn a couple of pages to the last book of, of the Old Testament, which is called Malachi, which we believe to be the last prophecy, the last word of God to the children of Israel, which happened around 433 B.C. God pled with His people. He called them to repent of the sins of the priesthood, the sins that were going on in His very house. And for 400 years, God did not send another prophet. There was not one miracle there was not one vision. There was not one dream. There was nothing from heaven. And, and if you remember the history of Israel, there in the times of Malachi, they were under the rule of the Persians, Artaxerxes. And they were oppressed under the, under the, under the reign of Artaxerxes and the Persians. And, and after, the, after the Persians were gone, guess who came? Well, the Greeks came in and kicked out the Persians. And were the Greeks better than the Persians? Far from it. The Greeks were even worse. And the Greeks oppressed the people for hundreds of years. And then you think, well maybe, well, maybe they'll be done after the Greeks. No, guess what? After the Greeks came who? The Romans. And the whole time, God was silent. God was silent. And here we find who ruled over Israel? Who ruled over Judea? Great King Herod, an Edomite of the line of Esau. Not even, not even one of the tribe of Judah. Not even one of the family of David. Ruling over his people. So you see the darkness state in which we find ourselves. God has not spoken for 400 years and in this darkest moment, God begins to move. And we begin to learn a little bit about Zacharias. 
You know, it's interesting the words the, the Holy Spirit uses to describe him. And he just simply says, and a certain priest named Zacharias. Now, I found that very interesting, by the way. He didn't say, and a learned priest. He didn't say, and a faithful priest. He didn't say, and a great priest. He said, just a certain priest. Just a certain priest. Let me tell you, there was a lot of priests. There were so many uh, of the tribe of Levi, uh, I'm sorry, of the family of Aaron who worked in the temple. That they had to be divided into 24 groups. So that they would take rotations of who would work in the temple. And the Lord's saying, listen, this is just Zechariah. He was just a priest. There's nothing special about Zechariah. He was just a, a priest. Now, he was a little more than that because the Lord is, is kind to him. The Lord describes uh, Zechariah and his wife. He says that they were faithful. In verse, in verses, uh, um, uh, verses six, they both were righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinance, ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now, what do we learn from that? That Zechariah and his wife, both of the family of Aaron, meaning they both came from the lineage of priests. They were brought up in the Word of God. They were brought up in the Old Testament. They were brought up in the law and the Scriptures. They, they, they understood what was called of them to do. And we read that they were faithful, they were righteous, and they were blameless before the Lord. And the Lord chooses to use this certain man to interject and to work among, amongst, amongst the people of Israel and upon the earth. We also learned that he was old. We learned that his wife was old. All important details. Zacharias, a certain priest, faithful, blameless, righteous, and his wife and him are old. And so we get to the main portion here, the divine message. And so we read that he is from the order of Abijah, just, just like I alluded before, there were so many priests, there was estimates of potentially at the time, somewhere between twenty to 15,000 priests in the day of Zechariah. And so what would happen is, they were, uh, they were divided back actually in, in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 24, David would set out to divide all the Levites, all the priests that worked in the temple so that there was order, and he would divide them to 24 families. And we, re- we read here that Zechariah was of the family of Abijah. And so, Two weeks a month, I mean, so two weeks a year, you're, you, you would be called to serve in the temple. And so we read here in the story that the, the family or the group that Zachariah was involved in, Abijah, was called up to duty in the temple. And so he was in the temple, working in the temple, whether it was at the sacrifices, at the labor, whatever he was doing, he was working in the temple. Now, something very unique and important to point out. Because there were so many priests... Certain tasks and certain duties were privileges because there's so many of them. And so it was decided by lots, by the casting of lots, who was going to have the privilege, listen to me, of going into the holy place. The holy place in the temple was where, where the lampstand stood and the altar of incense and the table of showbread. And twice a day, every day, the priest would go in. At the morning sacrifice and the morning prayer, they would go in with embers from the, from the, from the altar, and he would go into the altar of incense, and he would burn incense in the morning. 
and he would do it again in the afternoon. And so listen, they would cast lots to see who would do it in the morning and who would do it in the evening. And once you did it, that was it. You were done for the year. It was said that sometimes, if you got to do it once in your lifetime, it was a great privilege. Now, I, I'm belaboring the point, but the point is, here we find Zechariah in a very privileged sp- spot. The Lord had him to go into the, the holy place and, and to have the privilege of bringing the, these embers uh, into the altar of incense to burn incense, which symbolized the prayers of, of God's people. And here he is doing his priestly duty. And behold, an angel appears to him. And I must move quickly. The angel appears to him and says, Zacharias. Now, just so you know, this is the formal greeting of every angel. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We say hello, they say don't be afraid. Why? Because when an angelic host goes from eternity to this time present, man cannot stand on their feet. From the beginning of time to the end of the scripture, every man who stood before an angelic being has fallen to their face or fallen to their knees in fear and in trembling. And so here the angel says, do not be afraid. And he begins his message to John, or to Zacharias. He says, Zachariah, listen, you've prayed. It's interesting the wording of it, by the way. It says, your prayer is heard. I found it funny. It didn't say that your prayers was heard or are heard. It says your prayer is heard. What, what prayer? Well, the prayer that you wanted a son. And the Lord's going to grant you that prayer and he's going to give you a son. Now listen, Zachariah, I want you to pay attention because this son's important. I'm going to give you a son, he says. And, and he's going to bring great joy to you, your wife, Elizabeth, and to your, your relatives, your neighbors. And there's going to be rejoicing over this child. That's, that's wonderful news, isn't it? Just, just in itself, if we stop there, praise the Lord, what a joyous thing that is. The blessing of God in, in giving us a child and the rejoicing, the joy that comes with it. But the angel doesn't stop there. He says, verse 15, he says, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. What does that mean? He will be great in the sight of the Lord. What, what, first of all, what is greatness? I, I, I think of Muhammad Ali, uh, uh, Cassius Clay saying, I, I, I am the greatest, he would say. And he would shout it from the mountaintops, I am the greatest. Yes, and he was a great boxer and so forth. But is that greatness? He, 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 he found some greatness in, in, in his position, in his occupation. Is that true greatness? But here it says that John will be great in the sight of the Lord. And I bring that up because I, I, I want to contrast what is greatness to this world and what is greatness to our Lord. Now, John, this baby who hasn't even been born yet, hasn't even been conceived, is already great in the sight of the Lord. Do you know what kind of life he lived? First of all, we read that he was not to have Anything from the fruit of the vine. He was not to have any wine or strong drink or liquor. Number one, so he was to be set apart. He was to be set aside from everything else. He's supposed to consecrate himself from the things of this world. He was to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we read that he, when he was born and, and he was young, he, he lived where? The last verse we read, he, he lived in the desert. And was there until his manifestation. 
I'll give you one more. He wore the latest threads too. He wore camel skin. Just camel skin. He probably smelled a little too. And, and listen, he was, he was quite a foodie too. He loved his delicacies. He, he lived off of locusts and wild honey. And, and the world would look at this man and would say, this guy's a homeless man. There's no greatness in this guy. There's nothing to follow. How many people followed him? Well, actually quite a bit followed him. And he was great in the sight of the Lord. Great in the sight of the Lord. What does it mean to be great in the sight of the Lord? Let that, let that meditate in your heart. And we read that he was great in the sight of the Lord. He was to be consecrated. He was to be indwelt in the, by the Holy Spirit, by the way, in his mother's womb. From the, from the very conception of life, he was to be set apart and dwelt in, the, uh, and filled by the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Uh, which is, by the way, testified to us in the, in, in the passage which we didn't read. And when Mary comes into the house and the babe hears the sound of Mary, the mother of Jesus, what does the baby do? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Oh, he leaps with joy. We see evidence of the Holy Spirit in an unborn child. Uh, verse 16. Now listen. And he will turn many children to the Lord God, uh, many children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, if we stop there, would you not say that is one of the most wonderful benediction to an unborn child? If we stop there, listen, he's going to be great in the Lord. He's going to be serving the Lord. And people are going to turn to God because of him. That would be my prayer for every single one of my children. And let it be there. And I imagine Zachariah at this point would be overwhelmed with joy and excitement. But the angel doesn't stop there, does he? And this is where it becomes critical. Because this is why the angel came to break the silence of God. This is what he says. And he will go before him. Now, if you look in your Bible, that him is what? Capitalized. And it's capitalized because it's referring to the Lord God. And he will go before him in the spirit, in the spirit of the, and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now listen, this is very important. This is, this is pivotal. Why did God break his silence? To announce the one who was going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. This was huge. And I tell you, Zechariah understood it. Zechariah understood the implication of that verse. That, those verses, by the way, were quoted from Malachi. They're at the very end. When, when Malachi is, is, is relaying to the people the great judgment day of the Lord in which God comes the second time to rule and judge. He said he's going to send Elijah. Elijah is a forerunner. And he warns the people, listen, in the day in which you see Elijah, remember the commandments of the Lord. Remember the commandments of the Lord. In other words, repent. But here we have a partial fulfillment of that. For he is not Elijah. John chapter 1 says, when the Pharisees came to him and says, John the Baptist, John, are you Elijah? He says, no, I'm not Elijah. He says, I, I am, as Isaiah says, a voice crying out of the wilderness. And here the, the, the angel says, he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah. So Zechariah understood that this announcement of his unborn child 
was that of the forerunner. Now, why is that so important? It's so important because without the forerunner, there was no Messiah. Without the, 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 the forerunner to announce that God is coming, God was not coming. Is that, I know that sounds pretty simple, but the, that, that is the obvious truth. You understand that from the beginning of time, mankind has looked for the restoration of humanity. And God has promised from, from back in Garden of Eden that He will restore, and He will restore, and He will come. And here, in the prophetic calendar, in the prophetic clock, the clock starts when the forerunner is announced and the forerunner comes. Then comes the Messiah, God in the flesh. That's why this is a big deal. And Zechariah would, would, would hear this and take this all in. And he understood the implication, the, the grandness of this announcement. And he would look at the angel and would say, this is so important. Look at me. I'm old. My wife is old. Surely this can go to somebody who is more able than I. And he, and he stumbled in his faith. He said, how shall I know these things? He says. How shall I know these things? And the angel would say to him, Zacharias, don't you know that I am Gabriel? I am, I am, I am the archangel Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. I, I, I'm not just an angel, but I am angel Gabriel. I am the one who God tasked me to give a message to Daniel in Daniel chapter 8. Who I had to, to toil and fight with the devil himself to get him that message. I'm not just a, any messenger angel, but I am the angel who dwells in the presence of the living God. And you don't believe my words. And you don't believe my words. And we get into his disbelief. And so the angel proclaims a judgment on his lack of faith and says, you will be mute and dumb. Now, the reason I say dumb is if you look in the previous verses we read, it says that they signed. His relatives, when they wanted to know about the name, they signed to him. They didn't call out because he couldn't hear. So he was both deaf and dumb. Death and dumb. And he struck him with death and dumbness until these things come to pass, he says. Why? Well, there's a lot that could be said. Partly, here is the priest of God. Think about this. The priest of God, having the privilege of bringing incense and the prayers of the people to the living God. And when God would give him his word, he doesn't believe it. How, how could he deliver the prayers to his creator, to his God, Jehovah? If you can't believe that Jehovah can awaken the womb and the loins of old people. How could that be? And so the Lord struck him silent and mute. And so the people, remember I told you this was done in the morning and the evening. Which one it was, whether it was morning or evening, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But the people were outside in the time in which the incense was to be burned, and they were praying, they were watching for the priest to go in, and the smoke to come up, and for him to come out. And, and then, one of the jobs of that priest, by the way, is to go out and proclaim blessing to the people. 
And here is Zacharias stepping out. And he could not proclaim any blessing. How could a priest who has no faith declare a blessing when he has no faith? He could not declare a blessing. And so we read that he finished his cycle of work there and he went home deaf and mute. He went home deaf and mute. Now listen, I can only imagine what Zacharias went through. Having experienced the, the, the sight of the angel, the message of the angel, the promise of the son, the, 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 the life and the, and the, the, the responsibilities of the, of the parents to the child and coming home and not being able to communicate clearly. And not only that, but not being able to hear what was going on. The Lord says, you don't believe. Now I want you to sit still, be still, and know I am God. Be still and know I am God. And for nine months, Zacharias was still. He could not put his own opinion. He could not intervene in in whatever discussion was going on. All he could do was watch. All he could do was watch. Now think about it. He went home. He maybe scribbled in his pad and, and told his wife what had happened. And his wife may have overjoyed. And, and, and he wondered and he watched to see if it would have happened. And it says that he came home and his wife conceived. And his wife would rejoice. And, and in fact, she said that she would hide herself for five months for the fear uh, that maybe it's too good to be true. And she would say, the Lord has had mercy upon his maidservant for he's removed her reproach. Oh, the reproach of a woman in that age for not bearing children. I, I, I must move on. But he removed her reproach. And for five months, she grew. And her belly began to grow. And Zacharias would just watch. And in the sixth month, you know who shows up? Elizabeth's relative, young little Mary. And I could imagine, here he is, not being able to hear, but only watching and seeing the commotion as it comes in. And here comes Mary, and Elizabeth begins to be filled with the Holy Spirit and begins to sing a song and declare the goodness of her Lord. And he doesn't know what's going on. And Mary breaks out in song, and he doesn't know what's going on. And imagine at night, Elizabeth would sit down and relate to him what had happened. How the Lord is faithful. The Lord is good. He keeps his word. And we read there when her time was due. Her time was due. She brought forth a son. She brought forth a son. And then... Eight days later, they're to name the child, and the tradition in that time was for the first male child to get the, the name of the father, to carry the name of the family. And, and, and here is Zechariah in his old age, never be, being able to have a child, thinking his family name was going to end. And here is his first child. And you imagine all the relatives from all the surrounding areas would come to see this miracle child. It, 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 this, this hasn't been seen or happened in 
millennia. I mean, it, it happened for Hannah, but Hannah was younger. It happened to Sarah, the patriarch. In her old age, she bore a child. And so here is Elizabeth bearing a son. And on the eighth day, at the time of her circumcision, there, at the time of his naming, they said, we will call his name Zacharias. The family name will continue. The, 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 the name of Zacharias will go on for generations to come. Praise be God. And, Mary sa- and Elizabeth says, no. His name will be John. Do you know what John means, by the way? Gracious is Jehovah. Gracious is Jehovah. And the family members would look around and say, Elizabeth, you don't have a dad? You don't have an uncle? You don't, you don't have a brother named John? Where's the name John? Zacharias, do you have, do you have anybody in your family named John? That doesn't make any sense. Well, what would you name him John? And it's funny, even though Elizabeth declared his name to be John, she bore the child, she delivered the child, and said his name is John. They said, well, that's great. We're going to ask Zacharias. And so they waved to Zacharias. Zacharias, hey, you, over here. Come here. Name. What's the baby's name? So he got his iPad and he said, his name is gracious, is Jehovah. His name is gracious, is Jehovah. And they were, they were surprised. They were, they were surprised. Why this change of tradition? Why don't you want your name to be carried on? Because God's plans are far greater than our mere little names. Far greater than our mere traditions and culture. He supersedes all of that. Jehovah is gracious. And when he declared to him the name of John, his tongue was loosened. You see, everybody who was around, his neighbors, his relatives, his friends... Knew he was mute and deaf for nine months. And now he can open his mouth. He can open his mouth. His disbelief was gone. He had stood still and saw the promises of God being fulfilled. Being fulfilled. And it says that all the crowd, everybody who stood there, listen, they were at awe, they were amazed, they were, they were wondering, they were saying to themselves, listen, this child is different. There's something different and very special about this baby. The events that occurred around him are unique. What kind of child is this child going to be? John the Baptist. And then we read that Zacharias hears this declaration. Now, we don't have much time, but I want to give you at least the highlights of his declaration. It's called the Benedictus. Like Mary has her Magnificant, here Zechariah has his Benedictus. And it says that Zechariah, no longer with any doubt, no longer doubting the Creator, no longer doubting the God who created him, no longer doubting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, no longer doubting Jehovah Himself, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he opened his mouth. Now listen, he opened his mouth and he praised the Lord. He didn't swoon over his baby boy. He didn't, he didn't uh, write poems concerning the, the, the wonder of this wonder child. But he opened his mouth and blessed the Lord. 
That's the first thing he came out of his mouth after being mute and deaf for nine months. He blessed the Lord. And he would cry out, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now I want you to stop and meditate upon that phrase. He blesses the Lord... Because he has visited his people. Remember, we started at the beginning about this 400 year gap of, of absolute silence. And here God he broke the silence and he visited his people with the announcement of John the Baptist. Is he talking about his son, by the way? No. He's talking about that other child to be born. By the way, very important point. I should, have, I should have started with this. Look at the tense of this song of praise. Look at the tense of it. Is he, is he saying it's future? Did he say, oh, I will bless the Lord because he ha- he's going to visit us? Jesus wasn't born yet, by the way, guys. Jesus had not been, had, had not, had not been born in that manger in Bethlehem. He, he had not come yet. But look at the tense. He blessed the Lord because He has visited us and has redeemed His people. What does that tell me about the faith of Zechariah? He no longer saw with his earthly eyes, but now he's looking with his spiritual eyes. He saw what God had planned, and God's Word is as sure as true. And so when he declares God's plan, it's already done. It's already done. He has redeemed His people. And in this song, listen, we don't have time. In this song, we have the fulfillment of two covenants of God to His people. Number one, the fulfillment of the covenant with David and his family. Secondly, the covenant of Abraham. First, the covenant of David. It says, from David's family, from David's loins, will come a king in which he will reign over his people and over all the earth forever. And that is found and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Secondly, now listen, he fulfills the covenant of Abraham. Abraham, he says, Abraham, to your seed, singular by the way, through your seed all the nations of the world will be blessed. Through the seed being Jesus Christ, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And are blessed. And are going to be blessed. And so we see how Zechariah through his time of quiet meditation can begin to look at the Old Testament and see that this coming Messiah was a fulfillment of all these things. But he doesn't stop there. It's not just a fulfillment of, of the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant. But Jesus Christ is also the fulfillment of the new covenant. And you say, well, what is that? Well, it begins in verse 76, and, and we'll go through this and we'll end there. Here we have the new covenant, and he listens. He, he I, I imagine as he is singing this song that he takes the child into his arms after he spends 12 verses proclaiming the goodness, the faithfulness of God to all those who are around. He now turns to this, boy, uh, this baby boy he has in his arms and says to him, And you, O child, will be called the prophet of the highest. He understood that the boy that he held in his hand, the providence of God for this child, was one who was going to go before 
God Himself. And His purpose was to simply be the herald to the Creator of the universe. And so His focus is not so much on the boy, but on the goodness of God, because it is He who deserves the glory and praise, is it not? And you will be the prophet of the highest for... Now listen. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His way. I imagine his mind probably went to to Isaiah chapter 40, there in those verses in which he describes the forerunner of the Lord. How he will go and he will make the path smooth for the Messiah. It says that the low places he will fill, the high places he will bring down spiritually in the hearts of people. So that when the Messiah would come, there would be a people ready for God. And here, as he continues, now listen. Here's the message. Here's the new covenant. Listen, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. What does that mean? To give knowledge of salvation to his people. You, you, you look at through the Old Testament, certain words are, are, are kind of rare and, and, and don't come up too often. One of them is the next word we're going to see here, remissions. Or the forgiveness of sins. What is the knowledge of salvation? The knowledge of salvation depends upon the forgiveness of your sins. We cannot be saved until our sins are removed. You understand that God is holy. God is perfect. He cannot be before any sin, before any iniquity. He dwells in an unapproachable light, the Bible says. Unapproachable light. And yet, John was given the task to go before that light and prepare the hearts and to give them the knowledge of salvation through the, I'm sorry, through knowledge of salvation um, by the forgiveness of their sins. The salvation is by the forgiveness of their sins. Now listen, through what? Through the tender mercies of God. Now listen, all this, all this, all this, all this language is fulfilled and completed in who? John the Baptist? No. It's fulfilled in Emmanuel. Jesus Christ, God with us. You see, it it is Jesus whom he pointed to. In in the book of John, John the Baptist uh, would have people coming to him. The Pharisees would come to him. The priests would come to him. And they said, who are you? And all he said, listen, I'm just a forerunner. I'm just the one who's the herald of the one to come. I point to him. He says later on, he says, listen, I must decrease and he must increase. He understood who he was. He understood that Jesus Christ is the hope. Is the hope for the lost. Is a hope for the sinner. And he comes to proclaim salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins through the tender mercies of our God. Now listen, this morning we... The Holy Spirit, wonderfully, in our worship service at the Lord's Supper, we, we had a couple of running themes, and the Lord really brought some of these themes out. One of them was this idea of light. And in verse 78, it says, Listen, with which the day spring from on high has visited, with which the, the, the dawn from on high has visited us. Remember we talked about the 400 years of darkness, and how how... how Zacharias 
even would, would look at the circumstances and see the darkness and it would fall into faithlessness. God's saying here, listen, the light is coming. The, 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 the light is coming and it's going to shine upon all mankind. Who is that light? Well, John chapter 1 would say that that light was Jesus Christ, the Word. And the light shines on all men. And shines into the darkness, and the darkness is not comprehended. In, in, in Malachi, it talks about the, 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 the sun, S-U-N, rising, and its beams healing, referring to this. In, in Isaiah chapter 62, I believe, I'm sorry, 42, we, we, we read the very same picture of the, the light of God rising upon this earth, all in Jesus Christ. And in Revelation our brother had us this morning. Who is the light? Who is the light of all humanity? Who is the light for those who are redeemed? Who is the light for those who are forgiven? The Lamb is its light. The Lamb is its light. So this morning, I plead with you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior... If you don't know Him as Redeemer, as, as God, I pray that you would do so this morning. You see, this all this we're talking about is the fact that God would, would descend the glories of heaven in such a form and fashion that you would know for certainty, by the way, certainty that He loves you, that He died for you. And that He wants you to be His children. And all we have to do is repent. Repent of our sins and turn to Him. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we... Lord, we are, we are humbled by Your goodness. By Your greatness. By Your majesty. By Your glory. By Your mercy, Lord. We look at your plan of salvation, the saga of salvation, which we begin, we begin to study, Lord, and we're at awe. That you would use the individuals, you, you would come alongside a faithless priest and would show them your tender mercies and your faithfulness. You would show your kindness to a barren woman who bore the reproach of her barrenness for so many years. You would bring the light of the world through a small child, through a young virgin named Mary. The world will look upon it and would not understand it. It says that he came to his own and his own did not even receive him. Lord, we pray this morning that, that your glory would be a little more clear in our hearts and our mind. That we would know you a little better this morning. Lord, help us to understand these things. Lord, I myself admit I find myself so inept so incapable of knowing your word at times. And yet you are gracious and kind to reveal yourself to not just me through your word, but to all. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen.